the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Patrick, and joining me for each and every episode is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. It is officially the MLR off-season. How are you feeling today, and what is going on, man? I'm feeling good, and you know, we're still here. We're still recording a podcast. Off-season, not for us. Wait, were we supposed to stop recording? <laughs> I mean, that's what we talked about at the beginning of the year, but you know, we're just gonna keep tr- keep on trucking here. Just keep keep on releasing episodes. Absolutely, we're staying busy because it's been. I love it because it's actually been super busy from from a rugby point of view and all the different competitions that are going on. You know, MLR, the domestic competition just ended, but there's a lot of international matches that are starting to take place. So, a super busy weekend in rugby. First, I want to mention USA Women's Eagles. They got back into action a little bit maybe of a disappointing loss there i think a surprising loss to australia 58 17 akp i don't know if you saw that but the last time usa played australia they won so uh, you know we'll see there they're they're cranking back up but yeah a few big there were a few names out for the eagles i mean hope rogers the biggest one she wasn't playing for them so you you wonder if that made a difference but also I don't know, the women's Eagles, great, but also just struggling to find that that real, like, top form. So, I don't know what's going on with them. U-20s did well, though. U-20s women. You nailed it. Yep. And I think and I think that's the theme is there are a lot of young players who earn their caps um, against the Wallaroos, which is such a great name. Um, so, And as you mentioned, the younger pathways are, are developing and having some good performances. So, you know, again, I think more competition for – both the men's and women's eagles is going to help, and they've got the WXV competition that's going to be later this fall. I think they're going to be slotting into WXV two, so you know it'll be again healthy competition. So more to come on that, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. But wanted to chat MLR Championship final AKP. I'm sure you watched it. What were your thoughts there of the New England Free Jacks 25-24 win over the San Diego Legion. And what I think a lot of people, after watching it, or, or watching it as it was happening, that was a that was an instant classic match. Like, two top teams, and what a fitting game it was for the season to end on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lots of uh, lead changes, lots of great stuff from both teams. I felt like San Diego could have done better i feel like new england not going to be disappointed at all with their performance san diego going to feel like they they could have performed a bit better there i mean sort of a classic new england game in a lot of ways where there were absolutely reasons that they should have lost but they they managed to win anyway i don't i feel like it was a a triumph maybe of determination from the free jacks over just the raw talent of of san diego san diego again losing in the finals they're gonna they're gonna start to have a chip on their shoulder about that i think you're right i think you said the new england determination to win that last 10 minutes was pretty riveting stuff and you know i was a fan of how for the most part the referee joe james called the game i think the last 10 minutes he didn't really want to take the game out of any one player's hands in, in the form of any type of penalty unless it was extremely egregious so he certainly let some them some things slide i thought the biggest play of the game and it was covered pretty well by a few people 
but when New England was driving and right before they kicked out for LaRue Milan, who, who, who dotted down, but there was a tackle. I forget what New England ball player had it. It was, got tackled right there. The ruck was about to form. Michael Smith, San Diego's you know, beast of a forward last year, comes in. Jason Patras, the fly half for New England, you got to go back and watch it. Absolutely, just cleans out Michael Smith. I, I don't think Michael Smith is going to get cleaned out by Jason Patras <laughs> or a player of his size again. But what a huge play that was! New England was able to keep possession, skip it out for Larue Milan to dot down with just a few minutes left. Unbelievable play, and and I think it just reaffirms what you just said: the the grittiness and the toughness, and just the determination for New England to to get that win. And in a game where I, you know I agree, I thought there were some uncharacteristic, just really some bad play from San Diego, like Maadanu dropping balls when he normally would. And, and you know, granted that one he wasn't really paying attention, but hey, way for, that was a great way for New England to start off the game, scoring early off a, and capitalizing off a San Diego mistake, which I just thought was so uncharacteristic of them. Yeah. Yeah, Maldonado didn't have the world's greatest game that, that game, but, you know, the man's 41. I think we'll, we'll give him a bit of a pass there. Yeah, it just felt a little reckless, I guess, from San Diego because you also had that, you know, that Teo just slinging it all over the place like he still plays for Utah. It just... It all felt like they they didn't really find their groove there. I mean, obviously, still good enough to to hang around and battle and, and have the lead for for most of the game. I think there were a couple other things that one kind of caught my eye. One, it was it was funny to see Maananu try and attempt another drop goal in the game, although it was not his best effort. But speaking of drop goals, I mean, you probably saw this at the end of the game there when San Diego, you know, after New England scored, San Diego had the kickoff. They won it. They were setting up. It looked like the fly half who had subbed in, Josh Henderson, was lining up in the pocket to attempt a drop goal, and instead of giving it a go, they tried to do the short pass off on the weak side that often that ended up not working out, and, and New England obviously ended up getting a penalty and winning the game there. But there could have been a drop goal attempt to win it with about 30 seconds left. Unfortunately, it did not happen. But I almost wonder what would have happened if Josh Henderson at least tried to attempt it. But we'll never know. AKP, a couple other things that we should bring up. Again, New England Free Jacks, they won their first title in franchise history, so so good for them there. And it looks like they had a big party afterwards with all their fan base that traveled. And speaking of fans, they MLR claimed and the Chicago Hounds claimed that it was a new MLR attendance record for a final. Over 10,000, I think 103 fans uh, attended the match. So I guess let me ask you a question, AKP. I know there was... Some back and forth from fans on whether or not a neutral site would work for an MLR final, but if they said a new attendance record, weather was pretty good, there was a good festival, and Dropkick Murphys, and Shaquille O'Neal there, do you think the neutral site venue, at least for this year, worked? Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to argue with a new attendance record for the finals, and I mean, I was one of the one of the people who was somewhat skeptical at the beginning of the year because when we've seen MLR do neutral site stuff in the past, it hasn't worked out well. Like the the whole Vegas weekend that was that happened back in was that twenty twenty one? I don't remember, but it was a weird it was a weird thing that it's easy to forget about because it was very forgettable because no one showed up to it, and that. 
I think I still had that in my mind when they announced this. And so I, but they put in, I said at the time, you know, they were going to have to put in the effort. They were going to have to make it an event. And they did. They put a ton of effort into marketing it. Seems like there was a lot of advertising around town to get fans out, to get ordinary people out who might not even be huge rugby fans. You know, getting the Dropkick Murphys, getting Shaquille O'Neal, like that that stuff makes a difference. And I'm really glad it was a success. And honestly, it might be the way to do it going forward. I don't know if they're going to keep it at Chicago, but neutral site might be the the answer for the, the near future. Yeah, I agree. I think across the board, I think MLR has to be pretty happy with how everything shook out from the action on the field to the, to the attendance, to the marketing behind it. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, one, hey, it was on Fox, right? It was on, it was on national television, uh, which was good to see. 3 p.m. on a Saturday is, is not bad, and there's a lot of competing things going on uh, this weekend from, from a sports standpoint, but... You know, you'd love to see that game at like a like a seven o'clock, eight p.m. Eastern time kickoff. But you know, work to that. Those are prime time slots that I'm sure, you know, were held for for something else. But even though Sports Center messed up the name of the San Diego Legion, they called them the San Diego Union. That's fine. They do play rugby union. I'll give them a pass. It was cool to see that the Larue Milan try did at least make the Sports Center top 10 so again any way we can continue to get the sport in in front of fans who may be not necessarily aware of major league rugby i think is a win we can work on them getting the team names correct so awesome final but hey this is an old glory dc fan podcast so i gotta ask you akp what can old glory dc take away from the new england free jacks winning the title this year is there anything well, I think this year we showed that we were a team that we don't have any sort of amazing star players, but we had a, a really good depth of talent this year. I think we we definitely resembled New England more than we resembled San Diego, and I think a New England level is not unachievable for us in the next year or two. So I would, I mean, it just it just goes to show that you know raw talent isn't necessarily what wins it. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I think you're right. I mean, I think they showed a team effort, and there are certainly star players on New England, but they really bought into that team mentality. Everyone fighting for themselves. So I really like the proven. I don't know if you've seen it, the, that proven docu series on the Rugby Network that's been chronicling their season. Just really neat team culture that they're building there. But the other thing that I think really stuck out for me, and you know, I know it's hard in with Major League Rugby, um, but you know continuity right so season over season there will be some changes right there will be some changes in players coming and going of course we're going to talk about it here in a second old glory dc introduced a a new head coach but you do need to build that foundation there needs to be some cohesiveness i think from season to season right from from players or a system so we'll be interesting to see what happens in the next year or so um, with old glory and the new head coach and the three-year deal but certainly building that winning culture again, building that foundation for what the next few years can look like. New England showed that, right? They've had two years ago, they had a good season. Last year, they went all the way to the Eastern Conference final, obviously still very, very hungry to win it. And then of course, put together a spectacular season here. So certainly 
not only Old Glory DC, but other MLR clubs, things to, to take away from what Old Glory put together. So, AKP, let's talk about it. Old Glory DC, exciting news and quick. I mean, we all teased and we hinted at it. I think you knew the news, but appreciate you letting Old Glory DC uh, <laughs> share the news and not spill the beans. But do you want to talk about the new Old Glory DC head coach? Yeah, so Simon Cross is the new head coach. He's a, a relatively young, he's in his 40s, um, relatively young uh, guy out of Scotland. He had a, he played at the top level for about 10 years, played for um, the Wasps for a few years, sort of came up through their academy, and then played for Edinburgh for for years and then eventually his knees gave out and he, he just couldn't keep doing it um so he moved into coaching he was actually coaching while he was a player he um coached a number of amateur teams and then when he when he moved into coaching full-time he coached a bit with the scottish u20s he coached at um worcester warriors and then moved to the dragons in the urc um, so you'll notice a lot of this is a lot of premiership, a lot of, you know, URC, um, although I think it was technically the Celtic League when he was he was playing in it, because um, it was that long ago. But yeah, so he's got a, a good track record. He's, he was a defense coach at Worcester Warriors and at Dragons, so he comes in with a strong defensive mind. That's sort of his focus. He was a flanker when he was playing. He's got that, that forwards mentality. It'll be interesting to see what he builds off of off of what Josh Sims had implemented. I mean, I think Brian Ray came out with some silly stat that we were not a good defense this year, and that was clearly just ridiculous when you actually looked at how we played. I felt like our defense was incomplete this year and inconsistent. We couldn't always keep it up all game, but when it was working, it was working really, really well. And so it'll be interesting to see what philosophy he tries to implement there. And you were talking about continuity. That's a, a good thing is we've got him for a three-year contract. He's signed through 2026. Now, obviously, if he gets a head coaching job somewhere, I'm sure he'll leave for that. Um, if we, you know, if he performs terribly and we go two, you know, two wins over the next two seasons, then obviously we will find a way out of it. These things are never watertight, but it does show a good commitment to lock someone in for the long term and honestly you think about the last 18 months we've had four different coaches he's the he's the fourth coach that's a it's a lot of change and not a lot of time and i think it's a good thing that we can look forward to some stability there and not be afraid that he's going to get poached in the off season yeah, I guess two two comments or, or questions. One, I think Old Glory D, you did mention you know four coaches over the last eighteen months, but Old Glory DC and the ownership group has an has a track record of giving coaches time to develop. Right, if you think back to Andrew Douglas and his first time, he had some time. Right, he had what three years, three and a half years, and then it became obvious that it just wasn't working, and, and a change was was needed. Right, so I didn't I felt like. He had a long, a long enough leash, right? So Old Glory coaching staff, or the ownership group, gave him time to try and get it to work. And, it was, and certainly there was 
the complexities of, of COVID and, you know, that interrupted a great start to a season. So there was a lot of things outside of his control, obviously, um, that he, you know, unfortunate what happened there. Um, so I think, I think it says a lot to, to hand a coach a three-year deal on MLR to say, okay, here, you've got time to figure this out. You've got a good foundation this year. Let's see uh, what we can do. But I guess to, to the other point about, you know, there's the Scottish connection, which makes complete sense, right? You know, the Scottish Rugby Union's got, I don't know how much of an active ownership stake, more of a passive, but certainly there's that pipeline of, hey, we've got some players, we've got some coaches, you know, I'm sure there's there's open dialogue between the two groups, which is which is cool to see. But what does it say about the URC, right? It seems like we're 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 plucking folks. I I used to think it was the MLR MPC pipeline, which is still very strong. Players, coaches going back and forth there. But uh, URC now second straight URC uh, connection there. Does that does that tell you anything, or is that just what what the opportunities are available? Yeah, I think that's I think that's somewhat of a coincidence here, um, but. The Scottish Rugby Union apparently very active in this. In this, they were active in the pr- past coaching search and um, Simon Cross. Like for any fans who are wondering how we got a coach so quickly after the last search took like what like seven months or something, um, Simon Cross was a, a guy who came up in the in the previous search. Scottish Rugby Union very active in that past search, helping Oak Glory find and and vet coaches. Obviously, the Scottish Rugby Union wants a young Scottish player or co- Scottish coach to get an opportunity to be a head coach of a professional team. This will be a first for for Simon to be a head coach of a professional team, and I think for him, you know, it's sort of funny that we're losing a, a coach to be a defensive co- a defense coach in the URC, and we're. We're pulling a defense coach out of the URC because he wants an opportunity to be a head coach. But I think for him, it's also partly that he wants to get back into the the Scottish rugby fold. He wants to get back into their their area of attention. Because when he was at Dragons, that's Wales. When he was at Worcester, that's England. And so I think he wants to get back into the sort of Scottish sphere of influence. And that's us. That's, I think... This is sort of a proving ground for him for the the Scottish Rugby Union. AKB, it sounds like Simon has been involved with the team over the last few weeks, so it's not like he's just jumping in now. He has he's been maybe chatting with the players and coaches, so there's there's already been maybe a, an initiation process, if you will. Yeah, um, from what we've heard, he's been. He was signed sort of shortly after it was clear that Sims was going to be leaving, which I'm sure the team knew about before it was announced to us. Um, so I think so. He he's been signed for weeks, yeah, and he's had a, apparently a chance to come over and visit. He apparently watched one of Old Glory's home games live, so he was there, and we just missed him. Um, so he's he's been involved he's had a chance and that's good because re-signings for the team have already started happening i'm sure he's been involved with all of that and he's apparently already been looking to uh, players in the premiership especially u.s qualified players players who have a u.s passport and could come over and count as domestic he's apparently been doing a lot of scouting over there and and finding guys because the premiership for those of you who don't follow um, club rugby, 
really. Um, the Premiership's been going through a bit of a rough time. They had, they have a number of teams that are sort of out over the end of their skis financially, and so they've had a few teams, three team Wasps, um, London Irish, and uh, the Warriors, Worcester right? Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny how many of those teams Simon Cross is involved with. Anyway, so I'm sure it's a coincidence. No, don't make that connection. Don't make that connection. AKP, please, you're scaring me. Okay, we'll uh, we'll move past that point. Um, yeah, no. So they've they've collapsed, and it means there's a whole flood of players over there, quality top quality players who are out of work, and MLR might be an option for them. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of a lot more English players showing up in mlr next year just because they're on the market and they're going to want somewhere to at least keep playing rugby keep being visible and hopefully they can get back into higher levels so yeah so it just like we got a flood of players from argentina a bunch of whom were u.s qualified i think we we might be seeing a similar thing from england in this offseason Interesting. That actually kind of is a good segue to just talk a little bit about the current roster, maybe some players that are moving on. Now, maybe I'm reading into this too much or maybe not, but you know, Wing Junior Sal tweeted out, thank you for the memories or something along those lines, maybe I'm paraphrasing, to Old Glory DC. Now, we know that he is going to be playing in the MLR offseason in Rugby League over in the UK, which he did last year, but is he coming back? Might he be back? Has he moved on from MLR? What what's what's going on there? Do you got any insight on that? I mean, no insight except that he did something similar last year, going to play rugby league in the off season. I assumed he was gone last season, and then it and then he came back. So I mean, he's not a very he's not a young player. He's he's in his mid thirties. He's he's one of those players who's on the list of of players who could call it quits at any time, really. Um, but he also seems to enjoy playing still. He seems to be having fun. I think he likes playing both codes because they provide very different sorts of playing styles and games. And so, I i mean, it's impossible to say. But I personally, if I had to take a bet, I'd say he's coming back. Ooh, okay. I like it. Yeah, I'm, of course. I welcome Junior back with open arms. Um, I guess moving on. Any other players, any other Old Glory DC players that we should anticipate maybe moving on, retiring? Got any names for us? Yeah, so Threat and Palamo, um, obviously, also mid-30s. He's aging there. He's got, got some injuries he's dealing with, and he seemed very... He was not willing to commit that he was coming back for another season. Um, I'd be... He's had a good run of things. I'd be surprised if he was back next season. He hasn't officially retired or anything, but that's that's sort of the sense that I get from him. He may maybe he'll go into coaching or something. He might still be around the team, but I wouldn't I wouldn't guarantee that he's he's going to be coming back as a player next year. Um, and then Api Nakatini is like he's like thirty eight. He's darn near forty, and he's he seems to still be really enjoying himself and having fun. But he also hasn't. I mean, his, the number of minutes he's been playing has been decreasing every year, and he is no spring chicken, so I, I do sort of wonder, you know, how long Old Glory can justify that salary cap if he's going to 
not play. And again, maybe they keep him around for as a coach or something like that, or to to mentor guys or something like that. But he's another guy who's just on that list of like he could call it quits at any time. He's he's at that age where another year is not guaranteed. So those those are the guys I'm keeping an eye on. What about what about a guy like Kurt Baker? What do you think there? That's another good point because he's also in that he's actually slightly younger than I always think he is. He looks like he's, I don't know, 45 and should have kids in college or something, but he, yeah, he's, he's not super young. He seems to be, he's in the twilight of his career. He seems to want to move into coaching. I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to do more coaching next year than, than playing Sort of like Callum Gibbons. Callum Gibbons came over, played a year for us, and then imme- and then moved into to coaching. And he was a player coach that first year, but he got he ended up playing a lot. And I think he he was expecting it to be a little more coaching than playing. And so the next year he was just like, no, I'm just a coach. So we could see Kurt Baker do that, but also maybe he continues to want to play or something like that. You never know. Some players never don't really want to step away from the field. It's funny because um, Kurt Baker's thirty-four. <laughs> You're right, though, but he seems he seems older. <laughs> yeah, if you told me he was thirty-eight, thirty-nine, if he like Ma Nanu's age, I would believe it. Kurt Baker reminds me. I, I think we shared this before. If you ever play like a pickup basketball league, you see the old guy out there like slowly warming up. You're like, oh, I'm totally guarding this guy, and then the guy all of a sudden steps out, jacks a three in your face, crosses you up, and you're like, oh man, I got I got played by an old timer. That's who Kurt Baker looks like, and it's obviously still a guy game. But uh, no, that's pretty funny. You know, a couple other players just to think about. I know on the recovery, but um, you know, chicken. You know, Mike DeBoulis, who's 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 recovering from I think another ACL um, tear and surgery and rehab. Hopefully, that is that is progressing well. But you know, that was a player who you know didn't really play much at all this season, unfortunately, because of the injury. So um, you know, yeah, he's had a tough time of things. Yeah, tough time. He's young enough that he still has time that he can come back, though. If assuming that he can, that you know, it's not, he's not injured so badly, he can't come back at all. But he seems to still be hanging around, still be trying to get back. So, and he, he's young enough to to be able to do that. Someone I want to mention, interestingly, as a, a slightly different angle, uh, players who are who may want to move on for better opportunities. I've been thinking about John Lefevre recently and i would hate for him to leave he's a great player and i i love that he plays for all glory but at the same time he's good enough that he should be getting more minutes than he is and he just you know it's the misfortune of being stuck behind danny Tusitala. you know absolute star player and and danny's in his 30s but he's not going anywhere anytime soon and you know, Lefevre could be 30 by the time he actually gets a serious shot at the starting position at Old Glory. And it's it's one of those where you've you got to think for him, maybe it'd be best for his career progression to take a chance somewhere else. See if he can get a starting job somewhere. It's very altruistic of you, AKP, but i got to say I'd rather have John on the squad. <laughs> I hate the idea of it. I don't want it to happen. Don't get me wrong. But it does make me... And there's... I think he's the the major example of that, but the only one who's really stuck behind someone and and could really benefit from better more well, he'll opportunities. He'll have an opportunity this summer 
with PR7s. I know he's signed on with the team there, so we'll be able to get to see him uh, play there a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, you're right though. There there are some players and some some spots on the team who maybe aren't getting as many minutes as they as they should be. No fault of their own. There's just you know competition at certain spots, and uh, be interesting to watch. You know, so. You know, we, we talked about um, to Mikey D there, who, who's part of the, the USA Eagles player pool. And certainly rugby's not over for a few Old Glory DC players uh, this summer. The USA Men's Eagles are getting together for a prep camp, I believe, on this Sunday on the 16th in Charlotte to prepare for the three-match tour uh, in August where they're playing Portugal, Romania, and Georgia, three teams that have qualified for the 2023 Rugby World Cup. And certainly, men's Eagles would love to have a good showing there. I think 53 or 54 players have been named to the training squad. AKP, are there any Old Glory DC player uh, who, players who are going to be on that um, training camp? Jack Scarrow is going to be in the training camp. Um, so is Colin Gross. Jack Scarrow obviously already has MLR camps. He really made a, a name for himself in the rugby world cup qualifying matches he seems like he's he's sort of it's the starting loose head position is his to lose um uh colin obviously new to the international scene but he's young up and coming they may want to give him a shot we'll see whether he i don't i'd be surprised if he's a starter but he may get get an opportunity off the bench and then Jamma is worth a shout out here he was in the initial player pool and then obviously his shoulder is is damaged and he's not going to be in that camp he's he's held out for injury so he hopefully he'll get an opportunity in the the fall to come back into the team which is unfortunate because he's coming in with a ton of momentum any other players on Old Glory DC, talking just U.S. for a second, that are domestic qualified that unfortunately didn't make the roster that are probably on the radar? Yeah, so there's a an interesting... Those were all the players who were, who were mentioned, but we have seen some other players get some interest. I mean, we were talking about John Lefebvre. He played with the uh, Falcons last year. Uh, Marcos Young was has played with the age grade teams that before he went to Argentina now he's back in the US so yeah I would be surprised I mean he had a really good season for us he was such an explosive player for us I do sort of wonder how long it is until they took an, take another look at him and try and pull him in um yeah which which would be great I think he he's a top quality player and it'd be awesome to have, have him playing for the Eagles you know, another player, I think it just gets really busy there um, in the back row for the men's Eagles, but um, a guy who's who's U.S. qualified, who's kind of quietly when it was announced, but Nico Jones. Yeah. Right? But he might be holding out for New Zealand still because he he's, a, he's only 22 or something like that. He's very young. And he, so his dad played for New Zealand and quite famously... And he was on the up and up in New Zealand. And then he got, you know, a combination of injuries and COVID really sort of scrambled his early career. And so he 
my guess is he will be holding out to at least get back into super rugby or something like that. Um, I think MLR for him is a, a springboard to to those positions, but we'll see. I mean, it would be great to have him. He's, I mean, he's 22 and he's built like a tank. I mean, <laughs> he's massive already. I think he could he would be excellent for the team. Absolutely. Let's talk about other couple other internationals on Old Glory DC squad. Let's talk with our talk about our neighbors up north, Canada. Any players that might be? I think Canada announced they're going to have a two match tour in Tonga. I'd love to go on that tour. Uh, yeah. Any Canadian internationals? Yeah. yeah. So we've got a couple of Canadian internationals. Well, so uh, Graydon Bowd, who has actually played for Canada before, but went had a sort of five year lost in the wilderness in the middle of his international career, got back onto the, into the, the player pool last year. And, you know, really with how well he played for us, he's probably in serious contention for that um, fly half position. I mean, he's a very particular sort of fly half. It's going to depend on whether he fits their system, whether his, the things he's good at matches what they need from the fly half. Um, also worth mentioning Cali Martinez, although he hasn't, he was included in the, the initial player pool, but he isn't actually in the traveling roster. So maybe they just think he needs a little bit more time. He's only just out of college and he's also U.S. qualified at the moment. He's dual qualified for both U.S. and Canada. He, once he gets capped by one of them, he'll be, he'll be locked in. So right now, if he doesn't play, since he's not in that that traveling roster, it seems like he's going to keep his U.S. eligibility for a little bit longer. But he, I mean, he clearly seems to want to play for Canada. That seems to be where his his heart is. So I'd be surprised if we ever did cap him. But maybe you never know. Maybe if Canada's screwed things up before, so if they don't give him an opportunity, maybe we will. So those are the players that are going to be playing this summer in warm-up matches before the 2023 Rugby World Cup, which is later, what, in September. But AKP, could we see any Oak Glory DC players actually playing in the Rugby World Cup? Yeah, so our best shot at that is Facundo Gaddis with Uruguay. He's played quite a bit for them before. He wasn't super impressive with them last summer, but, you know, he's again had a pretty decent season with us so hopefully he can work his way onto that roster and play in the world cup so that'd be be cool for him cool to have old glory support in the or old glory uh, representing in the world cup yeah absolutely and i hope he makes a squad it'd be fun to to see him uh get out there and play and uh you has got a shot at maybe knocking off and winning a, a match or two but um we'll see yeah we'll see we'll see it's exciting stuff for this part of the world, when Argentina continues to do well, Chile, Uruguay, and obviously the USA and Canada need to be on the up and up, but we are getting there. But AKP, talking a little bit about the U.S. player pool, I want to bring up, you did a really awesome data research project, information that you released um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was at the end of June, talking all about Major League Rugby and pathways and opportunities for domestic players both u.s and canada but please tell us a little bit more about the project and what it's all about and what you hope to find or discover through this research project that you put together 
Yeah, this was so there's there's always some discussion about the you know the opportunities that MLR is providing to domestic players because obviously part of the point of Major League Rugby is to grow the national teams and give those players for those teams a place to play a a high level place to play domestically. And so I wanted to, and there's a lot of discussion around that, but people don't generally put numbers to it because no one had bothered to go through and really figure out the numbers. And so I, using the Fantasy Ruckers website, um, all of the data on there, and I, I put it all into a spreadsheet. I took, I found all of the U.S. qualified players. I put them in there so that we, and had it figure out. All of them by position, the number of caps they got, the number of starts they got, and the number of minutes that they played to to get an idea of what sort of opportunities is the U.S. player pool getting in Major League Rugby. And the answer is there's 254 players signed to teams, U.S. qualified players signed to MLR teams. 212 of those players got caps during the season. Um, so there were a good number of, of players who were mostly younger players who were on rosters but didn't actually get a chance to play. 149 of those players were regulars on the field, which I defined as getting at least 160 minutes, which works out to about, if you played in every game, that's about 10 minutes a match, or if you played in half the games, it's about 20 minutes a match. So it mostly encompasses the players who are coming off the bench um, but not not really starting. And then uh, 58 starters, which I defined as at least 40 minutes a match across the 16 matches, so at least 640 minutes, which is a pretty high bar. There were a fair number of players who were regular starters but then got injured or something, or players who who started in six or seven matches but maybe got replaced or who weren't signed in the beginning of the season and and then came in later but overall though I think that you know it really encompasses just the scale of the impact that MLR is having I mean you think literally hundreds of U.S. players signed teams and even if they're not getting caps they're getting professional level strength training they're getting they're collecting a, a paycheck to stay involved with rugby to to continue to try and and make it you think about the you know literally hundreds of players getting caps getting an opportunity to play at a high level to compete against the some of the best players in the world that we're getting over and even and we've seen a good number of players work their way into starting roles i mean you think about jack escaro he's gone from being a you know, injured and, and left off the roster to working his way up through being a regular off the bench and then into a starting position now. And so I think you can see just how much MLR is providing an opportunity and pathways to success for these players. And you th look at a player like Colin Gross, you know, coming out of nowhere. I think it's clear if you're good, you will get a, a spot and you can you can really make your name in in MLR. I love this research project, and I, it was shared pretty widely. It got great pickup, which is awesome. And I want to dive into it a little bit more. 
are there certain positions that are strength for for uh, the USA men's Eagles, meaning a lot of MLR players are getting opportunities there. And then let's talk about some of those positions, and we probably all know them. Number 10, the fly half, where it's a little bit of a weakness. Let's start with some of the strengths. Where are you really seeing some really healthy numbers? So the best positions for us are definitely you look at loose head prop. We've got, I think it was five starters, all of them young guys. You've got a number of guys coming up in the, the regular ranks. And you just get a lot of minutes in that position going to U.S. qualified players. You look at flanker, which I think had the most starters of any position, like 13 players in, in starting roles across the league. You've got, which when you consider there are probably only 24 starting flanker positions. And actually, if you ignore Canada, um, because you ignore Toronto because they only have Canadians. They have the majority of starting flanker roles in the, in the U.S. And the depth of that position is just ridiculous. The number of flankers, of U.S. qualified flankers in the league is, is just insane. Um, you look at wing has a pretty good depth of players as well. They don't have as many U.S. qualified players starting regularly, but they do have have a really good depth of players getting minutes there. And then, like you said, there are some... Weaker positions there as well. Um, fly half is the obvious one. There's only, I mean, there, there were, there's only a handful of U.S. qualified players at all. And then you look at the number of them who are getting regular minutes, getting starting minutes. It's only a few of them even getting regular minutes. It's it's like maybe five players, and that's. And you also don't have a lot of depth there. You don't have. You've, the, I guess one thing you can say about fly half is at least the U.S. players who are who are starters are getting good minutes. You know, Duncan Van Schalkwike, you've got Luke Cardi in Chicago. They're they're getting regular minute. They're they're really they've really established themselves well. But the problem is the the pathway up to that isn't there. There aren't many players who are you know getting occasional minutes, and that's partly just the nature of the position. It's a hard one to slot an inexperienced guy in because it impacts so much of the team a, a fly half who's just a half second late throwing the ball to his center is going to screw up the entire rest of the back line you know one who's not good at defending is going to leave a huge hole right in the middle of the field so you've got it's such a demanding position that it's hard to blood in new players and credit to old glory there because mike weir is one of the one of the young guys he got he got a game with us started played for 40 minutes no he came off the bench he didn't start he played for 40 minutes and he's at the fly half position he's one of the only up and coming fly halves to get that opportunity in the league yeah let's talk briefly about the the fly half position for the USA men's eagles i mean you talked about depth being an issue right so we know right now the standard bearer for us is AJ McGinty but you know, he's getting up there a little bit uh, in the years and just, you know, the mileage, playing at a high level and the premiership and, and all the games and all the caps with USA Men's Eagles. But if you look kind of just below that in the depth chart here, Will Hooley announced his retirement. You know, Luke Hardy, he's he's certainly younger. He's, he's, he's 25, but, you know, he had injury concerns uh, a couple of years ago. And then if you go 
beyond that, you've got a couple of players where it's kind of uncertain who's really going to be the next great American fly half after AJ. And I'm not knocking Luke Hardy at all, but you'd love to see more depth, more competition. And I think that's partially the challenge for, for MLR and really USA Rugby over this next, you know, seven or eight years before, you know, 2027 and the 31 Rugby World Cup cycles. But figuring out who those players are going to be and, and how they're going to get into the system. Is it going to be through MLR? Can, do we have the structure right now to support and develop and nurture some of those great young American fly halves? And I guess we'll see. You know, which leads to the next question, right? Because you're not putting a young college kid fresh out of college and slotting him in as a starting fly half in Major League Rugby. That's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen at the international level. There are certain positions on the field where youth, if you've got some athletic ability and a little bit of rugby IQ, you can make your presence known there. But there are other positions where that's just not going to happen, where experience and age matter. And I think it shows in some of your data, right? There's some other positions there. Hooker, right? Um, are there other positions yeah. where your data shows that there, you need pretty good amount of experience or a certain around a certain age where you really fully develop as a rugby player and what are those positions and do we have depth at those spots yeah uh hooker is like you said a big one a lot of the starters there in mlr are older lock is one that tends to be dominated by older players sam gala being the the exception there and eight man is another another big one where and that's in part because if you've got a younger guy you tend to stick him at flanker and then you tend to move to eight as you get older in part because as you slow down, it's it's easier to, to handle the eight position, I think. And I think in those positions, though, you do see the, the pathway up. You do see the younger players getting occasional minutes, and they'll, they'll get up there. I think that's just one where those are positions where you're always going to be ly- relying on your veteran players. And if they're not getting the caps when they're young, that's fine. They'll get there. Um, another one I wanted to mention was... Um, tight head prop because this sort of is the confluence of both those two things we've been talking about where there's not a lot of depth there's only one tight u.s qualified tight head getting starting minutes in the mlr and it's also doesn't have a good age distribution you've got a lot of older guys the guys even the guys getting regular minutes they're mostly older players and so it that's definitely an area of concern and we've seen with, with loose head prop, like MLR teams are willing to play a good prop, US qualified prop if they find them. It's not like there there isn't the opportunity there. It's just that there just don't seem to be the level of quality in US tight head props that lets them sort of get into starting roles on MLR teams. And I that maybe that's just a pipeline issue. We just as a country, are not developing those players properly and not getting them ready for MLR-level play. You know, which, which brings up an interesting question because we've seen a number of younger U.S. forwards, props and stuff, and hookers, front row players, you know, guys like Joe Taufete and David Anui who are playing overseas. So that then is the question. Does it make more sense for players like that or positions like that to go overseas where the competition is higher and maybe they can get paid a little bit more to develop and bring them back to the Eagles. Ultimately, of course, we want the 
the floor for MLR and USA Rugby to rise, right? And that means the domestic game is so much stronger here so that players don't need to go overseas, they can stay here, they can get paid better. That's going to take some time. But if you're a young prop and you've got an option to play in Pro D2 or Top 14 or something like that, I mean, you go there, right? Because that's the best competition. Yeah, you don't pass up that opportunity. And maybe that's just the answer is that the reason we don't have a lot of depth in the MLR is just because they've all been poached by overseas. A tight head is a difficult position. It's one of the most challenging positions, one of the most technical positions anywhere. Second, you know, right in there with, with fly half where, you know, you have to put up with, I mean, you've got two people pushing against you on the tight head. You've got the loose head who's trying to work you and you're, you've got the hooker. So you're really right in there, and you don't have any support on your open, your open side, and so it, it's a difficult position to do well. And that's, I guess, that makes it in demand, and so therefore all our guys go overseas, all our best prospects there go overseas. But it'd be nice to see if we could make a change for that, and I think that has to go beyond MLR. Like there has to be some coordination between MLR and. USA Rugby to say, you know, can we run special camps? Can we do something to create more tight head props? Well, I think you're hitting on something key there. And it's not just developing the players. That's part of the pathway. It's developing the coaches that can give them the special instruction to actually become better players. And I think that, I think, I think USA Rugby and MLR is giving opportunities. And I think that's very important, but I think that's probably the next step that they're working towards is, Increasing the level all across the U.S. for players, coaches, even the officials, right? People to, to coach them around the rules of the game, right? Like what's proper and what's not, how to skirt, things like that. So I think that's all part of, of that mix of trying to grow rugby in the U.S. across a country that is so massive, right? It's so much easier if you're a coach in England. You can hop a train seemingly and get to where you need to be in three hours or so. But um, I think that's another point there, and that's developing the coaches with that special instruction and the know-how to be able to get the players to where they need to be. And AKB, there's so much more we can talk about this, and I want to continue to talk about this research project that you put together over the course of the summer as we get closer to the the camp starting, which is at the end of this week, but also as we get closer to the the um, the matches that we will see in the August tour. So I think there's going to be a lot more um, that we can explore with this. A lot of fun stuff there, uh, for sure, in AKP. If you haven't checked it out yet, folks, I've pinned it as a tweet on Rugby Morning. Alistair Kirschpool, you can find him on social. You should definitely um, find that research product. I think it's been shared on MLR Reddit. It's definitely uh, fun to dive in there and get a true sense of the numbers and, um, and what's going on. Whew, AKP. First MLR off-season episode, and I think this might have been one of our longer episodes yet. I hate to cut it short here because we've got so much more to talk about over these next couple of weeks. I mean, I think next week we got to talk a little bit about kind of the, the future of MLR and the growth. There was an interesting article that uh, Sports Business Journal, which is a top sports business publication, had a conversation with Major League Rugby talking a little bit about conversations they're having with markets and potential expansion. So we got to talk about that. We got to talk about 
rugby union now. So much we need to get into and that we will get into over the course of the summer. But AKP, giving you the mic here. Close us out. Final thoughts, either on the season, old glory, or what's to come. Man, it's hard to come up with something witty in the off season. Um, my brain's on vacation mode. Now, I think I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, look forward to continuity for Old Glory in the, the coming years. We've got a great-looking head coach coming in. Got him on a three-year contract. We're building off of a great base of players. We probably need to inject some, some top-level talent into the squad, but we're coming off of a, a really stable, good place and like, there's no reason we couldn't be the Free Jacks at that Free Jacks level in a, in a couple of years. Ooh, I love that. would love to get out there and get an MLR championship. Exciting times, for sure. For Alistair Kirschpool, I am John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. We'll catch you right back here, same place, same time, next week.